Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Shadows. I'm Stuart Best. Where the paranormal is normal. Where that which you thought you knew, you didn't. And where the future can be known, if you know exactly where to look. Well, good evening, everyone. Thanks for tuning in and listening. And uh, we have a special uh, show tonight. Uh, We're going to have John D. Venter on, who is the author of uh, several books on uh, what he calls relics. And we're going to get into all of this. And it deals basically with... Bigfoot, Bigfoot sightings, and his second book uh, expands the paranormal a whole lot larger. Because once you get into the paranormal and you really start to investigate it, uh, you can't really uh, get away from it. It just keeps building, and the truth do too. So, anyway, before we get started, uh, we got banned uh, on Night Shadows uh, from we were booted from YouTube. Uh, we don't know how long, uh, whether it's going to be a week or longer than that. And uh, really, I have no idea why, uh, but evidently we violated their community standards. And uh, all I can say is that their censorship of truth is, of course, now reaching very high levels and directed by the U.N., as far as we can figure out. Proving, of course, that YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Google, and the others are working for the new world order and the population reductions per the Georgia Guidestones because they're, they hide the real truth. And uh, it, it, the whole thing is demonic to its very core. And I have no hesitation of saying that if they do not repent, Jesus Christ is really going to stomp on them, and they're going to be sorry they were ever born for what they're doing and how they're leading millions, billions, actually, astray. They know exactly what they're doing, and they know who they're working for, and they have chosen that, and so they're going to have to live with the consequences of that. Uh, For some reason, they think, I guess, life on earth is about it, and they don't seem to care about the, um, how should I say, the eternal aspects of all this. But anyway, the culling of humanity by global deep state programs started over 40 years ago. And the truth of what is behind all of this cannot be allowed out there. And Which is funny to me, because even though most folks out there have no idea of the culling of the herd, and cannot believe that the government wants them dead. So what difference would it make to deep state whether all the truth is out there? They know people aren't going to believe it, and we're going to get into that with John. Okay, welcome, John, to our show. John, uh, maybe give us a little rundown of your uh, quest here on these relic books. Hi, Stuart. Hi. First of all, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, I better lay this disclaimer out. Now, my books are novels, but yes. the research I did was uh, was to make the the story as realistic as possible. On you know, it began with the uh, 
Sasquatch phenomenon, and it really wasn't my idea. A friend of mine wanted me to write a short story, and why he chose me, I'll never know. So I worked a little bit on it. Then he had another project. Story got shelved. My sister had seen it and, you know, talked me into She basically twisted my arm a little into making it into a novel. And I had no idea that I could write a novel. You know, I, I just thought, man, that's two or 300 pages. And I ended up writing a book that was over 500 pages. And uh, when I started this, I wasn't a Christian. I didn't go to church. And um, funny thing, I didn't believe in Bigfoot. Now, I'd always kind of had an interest in UFOs because I had a lifelong interest in aviation. And I think just anything that flew captured my imagination. So if I had a paranormal interest, it was UFOs. And I really wasn't interested in some big hairy thing that smelled bad and ran around the forest. It just didn't (laughs) capture me. Well, when I started researching to write this story, you know, I I was going to nitpick and make it as realistic as possible. Um, I started just getting more and more interested. You know, at first I ran across your just general story, you know, something crossed the road in front of me and this and that. And then I started running into more in-depth tales. And I started noticing so many of these reports were coming from law enforcement officers, doctors, lawyers. Um, you know, it wasn't just uh, Joe Blow, you know, that was out drinking beer and something happened, something run across the road in front of him. It was mm-hmm. people from all walks of life, professional, non-professional, blue-collar, white-collar, um, you know, people with good reputations, some people with not so good reputations. But it just struck me how many people were actually reporting these things. And so my interest started building. And also about the same time I was researching this, um, I'd ran across a couple of books by David Politis. He was a Bigfoot um, researcher, and he'd written a couple of really good books, uh, Tribal Bigfoot and the Hoopa Project, which were big on my list for material while I was researching. Then he started hitting on this series of books, Missing 411, about disappearances in national parks and man that just i don't know something just happened and i just got enthralled with both subjects so i added a little bit of the missing 411 uh phenomenon to my uh bigfoot story and uh like i said you know i was kind of talked into it by a friend it was gonna the the uh, setting was gonna be in ohio and then when that went away and my sister and I were talking, I assumed it was like a mainly a West Coast thing. So I thought, man, there's no place around here. I was living in Northeast Texas at the time. And then I started seeing all these reports about Southeast Oklahoma and the Kaimichi and um, Winding Stair Mountains and Wachita National Forest. Well, that was, you know, about a three-hour drive for me. And so I thought, like, well, that'd be a good area. And I heard about one of the biggest stories I heard, or one that fascinated me the most, is was the siege of Honubi here in uh, southeast Oklahoma. And I mm-hmm. thought, well, that would be a good location, and I was going to use Honubi, but for my story, I needed a police department, a hospital, some infrastructure. So Honubi really, you know, it's just a little small uh, hamlet would almost be the best uh, 
description. You know, there's no post office. There's no uh, police department or anything like that. So I moved the story north about 24 miles to Tallahena, Oklahoma, because it had all the things I needed for a story. And I just took off with it. And um, I threw in a little, uh, you know, there was some cover-up by the government, and there was some black ops by the government. And I don't want to give away too much. Um, And I decided instead of just using one, I've noticed the template had always been kind of like for one Bigfoot terrorizing a homestead or something like that. Well, um, I just decided to use four, and I just had them pretty much take on the whole world. (laughs) um, It got to be a pretty big story and took a while to write. Now, as I was getting toward the end of the story, uh, my sister was already trying to talk me towards a – towards a follow-up book, a sequel. And I was telling her, you know, there's only so many uh, Bigfoot tricks in my in my magic hat here. I, I said, I don't think I can just do that. And uh, I met my wife, Monica, around that time. And, uh, <laughs> you know, she asked me about what I was writing. And I was kind of embarrassed. And I told her Bigfoot. And I thought she was going to laugh or, you know, think I was silly. And um, she's very spiritual, very devout. She's in the Bible two to three hours a day, and here I am. I, you know, I, I could barely spell Bible, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm thinking she's going to think I'm, you know, ridiculous. And the first thing out of her mouth is, "Well, I think if those are real, I think they're a form of nephilim." And I said, "What's a nephilim?" And she says, "Have you not read the Bible?" And I said, "No." <laughs> so she directed me to Genesis chapter six, and then. I really wasn't getting much out of that at first until I realized the sons of God were fallen angels. And then it was just like light started coming on and I got interested in, you know, I started looking at the Bigfoot phenomenon through another set of eyes and, um, and then started looking how it connected with a lot of other things going on on the supernatural side of things. So that was really how I got started. I forgot to introduce Larry. Larry, you're still there, right? <laughs> I'm here, Spirit, but I'm certainly enjoying the show. And, yes. and I would like to say, uh, one of the people that after he wrote the first book uh, he met uh, in due time was me. And uh, I shared with him my experience on Bouncer Mountain up, up in the same area he's talking about where I personally saw Bigfoot. I looked right at it. It looked right at me. And uh, so I can be one of those witnesses, and I'm not ashamed to say that I've seen one, because every morning I wake up, Stuart, I violate those community guidelines you were talking about just by waking up. (laughs) And then the rest of my day usually tramples all over planet Earth. But uh, I have to say, uh, I I, I really met John and his wife. Me and my wife met them, and, and we got to talking, and... And it was an excellent uh, time of uh, fellowship and sharing, and I was really blessed. But I got to share some of the stuff that I've stumbled across. And so uh, go ahead, John, and and talk a little bit more how you actually wound up living here. Yeah, uh, funny thing. When I decided on this area, I had no idea there was mountains in Oklahoma. I'd always kind of – anytime I'd been to Oklahoma, it was west of here, a pretty good distance where – you know, you see the Oklahoma with the tornado videos and all that, and it's all flat and horizon to horizon. Mm-hmm. So 
actually, the first eight months I was writing this book, I was using Google Earth to find everything. And it's amazing what I found, you know, like uh, one of the main scenes in the book happens at a restaurant in Tallahena called Pam's Hateful Hussy Diner. And I just love that name. The first I saw it from the street view on Google Earth and got a kick out of it and said, well, I got to use that. So I used that for a lot of scenes in the book. And it's kind of neat because, like I said, it took eight months to get up here. But as I came up here and started coming up here more, and now, of course, I live up here, um, it's, it worked out kind of neat because Pam's Diner is kind of a central spot for Tallahena. You know, a lot of people meet there daily for breakfast or lunch um, from their <laughs> businesses and stuff in town. So um, I really fell in love with the area and just took off with it. And just before I sent the book in for publishing, actually the book that uh, Larry's read is the uh, second edition. But the first edition, just before I sent it off for publishing, it hit me that, you know what, I might better call this Pam woman in Oklahoma and make sure it's okay to use the name of her business. So I called her, and she said, yeah, I'll go ahead. Nobody, People call me about stuff like this all the time, but nobody ever does it. So I said, okay. So went ahead, got the book published, um, and uh, we came up here one weekend to uh, – I wanted to give her a book and, and tell her thank you. So drove up here and gave her a book, told her thank you. And coming on the way back, we stopped about a mile from where we are now at an overlook, and um, – we were just thinking how beautiful it was and how nice it would be to live up here. Well, the company I work for, my day job, I'm a copier, fax, printer tech. We had picked up all the Choctaw Casino business for their printers and fax machines and copiers. So all our techs, we're in Texas, and we were driving up here. Sometimes I think one guy, it was like five hours one way for him to the furthest spot. And I just happened to hear the uh, – president of the company and the service manager talking about how, you know, needed a tech in Oklahoma really, because this was, this was rough on us. Um, you know, we don't, we don't get overtime for our driving. So, mm-hmm. you know, people were getting a little road tired and grumpy about it. And I just kind of said, Hey, I'll, I'll move to Oklahoma. And they're like, really? And I said, yes, I'll, I'll move up there. And just so happened it worked out. We were able to find a house up here and, Sold a house down in Texas and got in up here in May of 2018 and and just absolutely love it up here. Super, super. Um, I know yeah, that you, Talahina. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah. Uh, now moved uh, to Honubi. A funny story on the on the original book on the author's page. There's a picture of me standing by this sign. In fact, um, your wife used it on that graphic she made. Yes. Yes. Where I'm leaning against that sign that says uh, Indian Highway, home of Bigfoot. Well, a year and a half later from me having that picture taken for the book, now I live like 500 feet from that sign. And I had no <laughs> idea I'd live up here when that photo was taken. So it, it's sometimes I think it's just got to be a God thing. And actually um, reading the Bible and, and all of a sudden things I always questioned started popping and lights were coming on. Um, like I always, uh, I couldn't figure out the whole reason for the flood. You know, I'm thinking those people couldn't be sinning any worse than people are sinning now, you know. 
And I mean, he wiped them out except for you know, you know, Noah and his family, and that never made sense to me. And the loving God ordering Joshua and Caleb to kill the entire tribes, man, woman, child, even the animals, that didn't make sense to me. So those are things I couldn't quite, you know, it, it was more than that, but those were some of the big ones. Like, I just don't see how this all adds up. Well, once I figured out about a contaminated bloodline from fallen angels, and and that that was, mm-hmm. you know, the reason for the flood was to get rid of the Nephilim and all the things they were doing, and then a second incursion, and yes, that's why uh, they were told to kill every living thing in a village or this or that, because it was no longer human, and there could be yep. no uh, there could be no Messiah because you couldn't have Jesus born in a, into a contaminated bloodline. So all of a sudden, I had a whole new interest in the Bible, and and um, I've said this a couple of times. It was I went on a journey to looking for Bigfoot, and, and I ended up finding God. So um, it was – that's why I told you earlier, sometimes I think even the choice of the name was a God thing. You asked me why I chose relics, and I told you, and it and it just so happens that that was a perfect title because in the second book, and the third uh, – the second book's about to come out this month. And I'm already writing the third book. I wanted to make it a trilogy. And so I'm kind of um, transitioning from a Bigfoot novel. The second is still Bigfoot, but now we've introduced uh, UFOs and a a personality that's basically a fallen angel is trying to, uh, you know, basically curse the area, control the area. Um, Nephilim are mentioned in it, so... Yeah, it, it was a perfect. It ended up being a perfect title for the book series. Mm-hmm. Larry, got any questions? Well, I, I, do, I do know. I talked to uh, John, and, and he mentioned the fact that uh, there's a pivot towards Antarctica too involved. And, and I wanted to ask him a question uh, because. You know, I've been studying and looking at the Hevener runestone, and people that follow my blog know that I've researched that. L.A. Marzulli came down and did a video and uh, interview about uh, Hevener and the runestone and and uh, filmed that area. And then I met John, and oddly enough, no one has been able to literally prove with proof that the Vikings or the Norsemen actually wrote on that massive rock, the, the, the runestone writing that they call it today. It was first known to be uh, the Indian rock, but, but it wasn't Indian writing, and it was a mother, uh, more of an ancient writing. And oddly enough, uh, John, who had done a, a little bit of research in, in seemingly that area of, of ancient writings, came up with something I hadn't even a concept I hadn't even thought of that does take in every single letter in that writing at the Hevener runestone and applies it to something he found, which he called, I guess, the krill, the K-R-I-L. Yeah. Talk about that, if you will, because that literally, it shows all those same letters in that direction. Okay, well, you know, uh, yeah, I uh, in the second book, I have an elderly uh, Choctaw gentleman. He's in his 90s. And um, 
the book flashes back to when he's a young man in the late or mid 40s. He wanted to be a fighter pilot in the Navy and get into World War II. Well, he just missed the war. By the time he got his training and his assignment, he uh, he missed the war. He he got uh, he got his wings and he got sent to his first squadron in September of 1945. Well, the war is over. Well, um, I'd gotten interested in uh, Admiral Byrd's trip to Antarctica in 46, 47, and Operation High Jump. I'd heard these things about uh, they weren't, you know, it was said they were down there in some kind of scientific survey, but they took an aircraft carrier and they took uh, seaplane carriers. There were submarines. There were warships. It wasn't a, a very peaceful-looking, you know, scientific um, fleet, if you want, for lack of a better word. But um, now I've never been able to confirm this, but there are reports that they ran into UFOs, they lost some aircraft, there was some loss of lives, damaged the ships. Of course, you know, you you can look all over the Internet and find these things, but you don't get any official um, government feedback on it because, of course, they're not going to say anything if this happened. But the uh, the legend goes that it was uh, it was Hitler and and some Nazis that escaped down there on those late late war German U boats, and yes. they had sent a couple of they had had a couple of their own uh, expeditions down there, and claimed an area they called New Schwabenland. Yes. So all the all the information points to some kind of Nazi connection with these UFOs. You know, I'm writing fiction, so I can build my little world. I I can take a, you know, I can take some truth or I can take some legend and do with it what I want. So I use that in the second book to kind of introduce this Joshua Neshova character. So in the third book, I want to go back to Antarctica because that just interests me, and uh, I wanted to uh, explore that deeper. So I started looking into uh, Hitler was big into the occult for a while, and um there was, and I can't think of the title right now, but there was a, a novel written in, I believe it was 1905, it may have been 1915, by a, a German author, and it talked about the Vril, and these were uh, species, as far as I can tell, um, aliens, like space aliens, but they're more reptilian, and they had somehow ran into these people in a, in Antarctica or these creatures in Antarctica and they had advanced uh, technology. And I know this all sounds wild, but uh, anyway, so I'm basing the story on that. And there, and there is actually, there was actually a Brill society society. And I think it's Thule. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but they were kind of close. The Brill society was um, operating more on the, uh, Antarctic side and having to do with these reptilian type life forms, and the Thule's was more with a Nordic type life form up around Norway and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Now that's mm-hmm. if they're space aliens. Uh, since I've become a Christian, you know, I used to think it was space aliens and and UFOs and things like that. I thought you know they were coming from other planets, but now I'm of the mind that. You're, you know, these aliens and things people report, I think they're more interdimensional than they are from from outer space. I mean, of course, I can't prove that, you know, but uh, it's just my opinion. I think if these things are actually operating, 
I think it, you know, it's just a veil. It's an interdimensional thing more than a actual interstellar thing. And, uh, you know, it's just fascinating. You, you really, once you stick your head down that rabbit hole, you know, if you don't hold on too tight, you'll go way down it. And of course, I like to explore, so I always let these things take me down the rabbit hole. But um, one thing I've noticed is if you'll uh, if you'll take a case from say a medieval incubus or succubus attack, or mm-hmm. or uh, abduction, or um, you know uh, abuse or whatever, you know how people will report incubus and succubus and. Well, man, they mm-hmm. read just like a modern-day UFO abduction. You know, you've got it's it's it, it, it's fearful. It's usually a sexual attack. They take body fluids, and it's like the same thing. Only now, instead of it, we we put a spaceship and aliens in place of you know these de- demonic en- entities from the Middle Ages. Yes. So I think yep. if it is happening, it's still the same beings doing it. Well, yeah, that's what the Lord said, you know, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be again. There you go. And, you know, it's happening. I mean, it's happening everywhere. So, yeah, interesting. Uh, I don't know uh, how much fascination people have with this sort of thing, but I think their eyes are going to get opened wide here in the very near future because, we're supposed to have, according to Thessalonians, an arrival. And it's tied directly to a strong delusion, which you were alluding to, that these are not space aliens. They're posing as space aliens from other planets and other galaxies, etc., etc. when in reality they are from another dimension. And uh, they're satanic fallen angels is the way I read it. How do you read that, Larry? Yeah, I think you're you're right. It's uh, it's it's very much an inter- interdimensional uh, situation, and and that really kind of dovetails back into the uh, the you know, and, and we didn't realize the terminology, Stuart. Even you and I years ago, when we were talking about such things as begin, which began to be termed as portals and wormholes, yeah. and and uh, you know all of this type thing. Uh, doorways i mean it was always there and i guess biblically uh, the term doorway or an opening or you know was basically a phenomena and then when you talk about the ancient anasazi and some of those they had doorways in in their kivas or whatever you call them and all Mm -hmm. this begins to link together and and i think that all links back into interdimensionality yeah, have you ever seen the movie John uh, Forbidden Planet? You know, uh, if you're talking about, I believe there was one that came out in the fifties. If I'm thinking of the same movie, and I believe I yes. have, yeah. I, like well, I said, when I was curious. a young boy, I I was interested in that stuff, so I watched all the old um, science fiction movies from the fifties. Well, what I was interested in in that movie. Uh, where they land on this planet uh, and they run into a scientist who uh, talks about the krill, K-R-I-L, rather than V-R-I-L. 
and they had hieroglyphics and they had uh, tremendous under underground tunnels and energy uh, making machines and it was really an interesting movie and i've often wondered did they know something about what was going on down there in antarctica and the vril society where they channeled much of this information this ufo information they channeled it from the occult and uh, you know that's where they got a lot of that it's highly possible um you know, I'm sure whoever, you know, Forbidden Planet, I, I'm not sure. It may have started out as a book before a movie. So, uh, you know, if when you're writing fiction, you look for little facts you can use to enhance your fiction. And mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. the original author, you know, took Krill from Brill. It's hard to say, but it does make sense. And the more I, more I read about Antarctica, man, the place just becomes more fascinating to me. Um, you know, Bird, Admiral Bird, he, he came back and he made this bizarre statement about we must be ready to uh, face enemies that can fly from pole to pole in a matter of minutes. I mean, where did that come from if something actually didn't happen to him down there? So, uh, plus, I believe he reported to James Forrestal. He was the what was he the first um Forstall? Secretary of Defense? Yes. yes I think Admiral so. Forstall. And he ended up uh in Bethesda hospital and they say he committed suicide, but he was on the psych ward and there's people believed he, you know, got the uh assisted suicide. And he was starting mm-hmm. to, you know, talk too much about things like UFOs in Antarctica. And it may, you know, there's a lot of uh, conspiracy theorists out there think he was killed by the government to keep him quiet. And I touch on that in the second novel as well. Wow. Um, Yeah, Forrestal, they say, fell out of a building, I guess, out of a window and uh, all that sort of thing. Well, that's how they do it. They just terminate anybody that's going to get in their way. And they were desperate to keep that engineering and that advanced technology all to themselves. And, of course, Eisenhower yes, warned it, us about that. And he was in that. a psych ward, too, Stuart. Um, yes. Pardon me, I didn't mean to step on you. He was in a psych ward, so you would think those windows would be secured. <laughs> well, in that case, they became unsecured. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so... And I say he's not the first one to uh, no, be terminated. He's not, and he's, <laughs> no, and he's sure isn't the last either. <laughs> we still have have that going on now. Yeah. Have you ever heard of Linda Moulton Howe? Yes, I have. I'm a big fan of Linda Moulton Howe. Well, she's done a tremendous work on what's going on down there in Antarctica. And she's even produced a video series or one video on it. But what intrigued me was she found these, uh, evidently it's all militarized now, but these were coming from insider people. They say they have found these huge, huge underground buildings, and along the wall are all these uh, kind of runestone, um, I don't know what you call them, symbols? Is that what you call them, Larry? Uh, hieroglyphic writings? Yeah, Okay. So what do you think about that, John? Do you think that's – I mean, she claims it's absolutely real. 
Okay, well, if you go back to the uh, Vril Society in the runes, um, that was one thing Larry was talking about earlier. I was looking at those runes from Hevener, and I only live about an hour from Hevener, and I've gone and seen those runes. And so I compared them to Vril runes, and I could match everything but one character, I believe, maybe two. But then... You know, you got to – it's hard because anybody can come along and say, these are real runes. I may not have seen the actual real runes. But have you ever heard of the, the Nazi bell, the Glocka? This, oh, yes. This, uh, well, you know, supposedly it had um, ancient runes or symbols, hieroglyphics around the bottom of it. And the information I got on it is that the thing disappeared during a test. They, they think it was actually – less of a flying machine and more of a maybe some type of a time machine or something the Nazis were trying to develop. And I've looked at, well, what do they call it? The German Stonehenge, the the uh, structure they have built. It's still standing. Yes. Actually, it's in Poland, I think. It's still standing where they supposedly tested this thing. Well, if you take that, have you ever heard of the Kecksburg UFO, 1965 Kecksburg, yes. Pennsylvania? Yep. That's well, this thing comes down, and, it, 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 you know, they're saying, well, it was a meteor, but it changed direction just before it, it hit the ground. It actually made a turn, came down in the woods, and the witnesses that saw it, what they describe is oddly similar to the Nazi bell, even to the point where on the skirting at the bottom you have these runes or hieroglyphics. That's fascinating. I, and I just think that's – and I'm just wondering, man, did that thing – did it just time warp and come down in 1965? What happened, you know? There is so much out there. It, it's hard to it's hard to pick any one thing to get on because once you start studying one thing, you get distracted by something else, and, it, and it's fascinating how they all tie together. And, again, Kecksburg, that's in that, uh, that area of Pennsylvania – um, you know, like Chestnut Ridge and all that, they have a lot of UFO sightings. They have a lot of Bigfoot and other cryptid sightings and and things like that. And it's just bizarre that this happened right there in the same location, you know, where that stuff's happening all the time. So, well, it's all, you know, it kind of makes me wonder, is there a wormhole there? Is there a portal of some kind? Uh, is there just a, is there just a weak, spot in the veil that separates our, our uh, dimensions. It, you know, there's just all kinds of questions you can get from that stuff. Yeah, the, uh, well, Larry, where you were up there on the mountain, uh, that was kind of a portal area, wasn't it? Well, it was, and it could also be described very clearly <clears throat> as what John said, a, a very thin spot a tear or thin spot in the veil itself which separates dimensions. Uh, that is very, very possible. And and I remember, you know, Stuart, when uh, you, you interviewed Red Elk, and Red Elk had another interview, a real long one, before you met him, and mm-hmm. uh, where he talked about such as that. He talked about portals. He talked about multiple dimensions. And and he also talked about Stuart, uh, and it's I think it's on your uh, audio that you did with him, or video, uh, where he talked about there were different kind of Bigfoot. Even why don't you uh, tell John 
what Red Elk told you about the different types of Bigfoot. Yeah, um, he said, uh, he was, uh, if you're not familiar with Red Elk, he was a Native American elder. And I invited him to come over and we'd interviewed him. And, uh, you know, he stayed with us three, four days, if I remember right. And uh, he was talking about the different types of Bigfoot. Now, one was simply earthbound uh, Bigfoot, biological Bigfoot, I guess you could say. The other, he said, were travelers that would come here and visit, almost like, you remember uh, Schwarzenegger's movie, I can't, Predator. Predator predators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what they were <laughs> well, kind of know, like. Go ahead. He's not the only one. That's another thing I found when I was researching for the first novel. Um, you know, there's different classifications of Bigfoot or Sasquatch. Um, and that was one of the first odd things I ran across. You know, first of all, I found out they were all over the place, all over the world, not just in the Pacific Northwest, as I'd assumed my whole life. But, yeah, I think there was three to four categories of them. Um, I touched on that in the first book and the second book. Actually, try not to give away too much on the second book, which is out this month. Um, I've used a Nephilim form of Sasquatch that are actually, they're not only terrorizing people, they're terrorizing the natural Sasquatch. And another thing I found out in the Bigfoot community is, you know, there's a couple of camps. There's a camp that thinks it's an undiscovered ape. You know, like a large, uh-huh. just normal, yes. natural primate. And then there's the other camp that they call the woo camp, where they look at it a bit more spiritually. Like, you know, this is uh, uh, where some of it, you know, is Native American beliefs that are fostering this. But um, there's a lot of people that think, well, they're a spiritual being. They're, they're, not, uh, they're not flesh and blood. And they do you know, use portals, or they're just straight up a spiritual being. Um, in the second book, I made my bad ones, or they're actually a Nephilim form of uh, Sasquatch, and and the uh, the ones that are terrorizing are just a, uh, your, you know, a natural form. And if you go back to, like, the Book of Jasher or um, uh, Book of Enoch, you know, these fallen angels, they didn't just, defile human women they defiled everything every every animal fish fowl anything you know they decided they wanted to defile they defiled and i believe that's where you get a lot of these tales of you know these strange creatures like the uh the minotaur or your uh uh oh what was the little the little kind of goat legs and you know human upper body i forget the name of them Things like that. The uh, was it the lion men of Moab? Um, just uh, all kinds of, yeah, just all kinds of your. Uh, you look at your ancient Greek or Roman um, mythology, and you start putting two and two together. You're like, well, wait a minute. You know, they may have been actually seeing these things, and they were Nephilim. You know, Nephilimic forms of of an animal that you know that God had created, but it had been. Um, made into an abomination by these fallen angels that were, you know, just having their way with everything. Yeah, that... Uh, when you, when you, 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 yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. 
Well, I was going to say uh, then too, you know, as uh, your Greek Titans and and you know every every uh, every uh, society or every group of people had their had their own giant stories, you know. Um, the Japanese do. Uh, the American Indians have tales of large red-haired giants. Of course, the Greeks, the Romans. You know, even uh, even London, London, England was supposedly first uh, settled by two giants. So it's a worldwide phenomenon, just like the worldwide flood story goes from culture to culture all over the planet. So you have to start wondering how much of this is true. And if these Nephilim, these giants they talk about in the Old Testament, are they not your Greek titans or, you know, whatever? But you start looking at all the mythology. It wasn't but a year ago I was sitting there and it finally hit me. I remember as a child watching uh, uh, the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. And I always remembered looking at, uh, oh, what was his name? Yule Brenner. Was it Yule Brenner? Who played the uh, Pharaoh? Yes, I think it was. Yeah, Yeah, I think it was. And he's sitting there and he's looking at this statue of his God. And as a child, I'm thinking, well, why do you think that's God? You don't believe in the God. You know, I was confused. And it just hit me, you know, within the last year that the reason he was worshiping this idol and this God is because it actually was there. It was a little G God. It It was a heavenly being that God had allowed, you know, God took his people and he allowed these other beings to take their groups. And so when Moses would perform a miracle, well, the the Pharaoh really wasn't phased because his temple priests could perform the same miracles, but not quite as good, but because they they actually had a God, even though it was a little G God and a lesser God, it wasn't the, the Almighty. But, yeah, they had these heavenly beings running around portraying themselves as gods. Yeah. So it just, man, you can run run this train right off the rails when you start adding (laughs) all this stuff together. Yeah, really, I think our history is so different than what everybody's taught. And that's probably one of the reasons I've interviewed uh, Klaus Dona, and uh, he's kind I guess you could call him Larry, what, uh, he digs up giants, let's put it that way. And uh, he's done a lot of research into the ancient times. And, you know, once they dig something up, it normally just vanishes. They come and get it. And uh, who knows what relics of giant bones they actually have hidden away because they do not want or the prince and power of this planet doesn't want anybody to uh, realize the Bible actually is true in all aspects. Hey, Stuart. Yes, go ahead, Larry. Yeah, I was going to bring up here one of Klaus Dona's good friends, uh, Professor Ernst Moldeshev, and you can actually go on Amazon and find his books. Uh, Ernst Moldeshev is his name. He is a, uh, well, he's actually a Russian physician. He practices in Russia. Uh, he also uses Russia as his base for research, and he goes into places that American researchers can't go, such as the Himalayas that's guarded by the Chinese. He goes into Syria digging up giants and other places that are guarded by 
the communist, and, and uh, so being a Russian, he gets into these places. But what I wanted to bring up was on one of his trips, and I did. And I, matter of fact, Stuart, I sent one of your videos to Russia to him, and he was very mm-hmm. shocked about the architecture of Tithonia uh, when you match it with ancient sites on on the planet here. Uh, but what what he said was, if you'll remember in one of his books, and Klaus Dona said this is true, that when Moldeshev went to the Himalayas, and this was guarded by the Chinese at the time, and he's guarded by Chinese troops, some of the uh, the uh, shaman or, or uh, holy men or whatever you want to call them over there in the in uh, Tibet, they took him underground underground in tunnels under the mountains that only they knew about and he was allowed to see very strange elong- elongated skull creatures and he said they were not dead but they were not alive which basically I took to mean they were in suspended animation under the yeah. earth waiting for something oh, what do you think about that and I and I, I just wondered uh if John had ever heard about Moldachev and, and his Russian uh, research. Well, no, I hadn't, but that, that's really interesting. And um, it just reminds you know, I hadn't heard of these uh, structures you told me about under Hevener before either. And uh, I've got to look. I, I haven't delved that much into the underground stuff, and I need to. It's going to be a big player in my third book, it looks like. And, you know, I really got to thank you, Larry, because um, the, I, w- I would like to keep all these novels kind of grounded in Oklahoma. I think it'd be fun just to have, you know, these stories happen in Oklahoma. And I was a little disappointed I was going to spend most of the book in Antarctica for the last book in the trilogy. And then you started telling me about these structures found under Heathner, and I thought, Wow. There's a train ride right back to Oklahoma for me with his book. So um, I'm going to start getting more into uh, the underground stuff, and I'll probably be picking your brain and asking for uh, links and books and things like that. But, no, I hadn't heard of it, but I'm finding it interesting. Well, there's so much going on out there that most people don't realize. They just roll their eyes. They cannot. And that's a question I had for you. Why do you think people are so skeptical? Of like Bigfoot uh, and and odd creatures like Mothman, um, Dogman, <laughs> Wolfman, whatever you want to call them. It's it's like I people think it's a cultural, just came... Yeah, go ahead. I, I think it's a cultural thing. I think uh, the powers that be they want to uh, um, take anybody that might give this any attention or bring anything to light and make them look like kooks and. Um, you know, it's like the UFO phenomenon. Um, well, take Roswell, for in- instance. They find this crash site, and the first rattle out of the box is the Army has recovered a flying disc. Okay? Yep. Well, you know what happened. Then the next day it came out, no, it's a weather balloon. So what happened in the interim is, hey, we can't let this cat out of the bag. We've got to, you know, now we've got to throw a cover-up out there. They came out with a weather balloon, and they took this poor uh, officer, Jesse Marcel, and had him pose him with these pieces of uh, weather balloon, you know. And you can look on the guy's face in the photograph, 
until he's not enjoying this. You know, he's taking one for the team. And I think that was kind of the uh, beginning of it. Look, in the little church I was attending here, mm-hmm. and I'm not knocking anybody for their beliefs because I think uh, you can believe the Nephilim or you can believe the Nephilim were fallen angels. You can believe the Nephilim were the line of Seth. That's not going to affect your uh, your um, getting to heaven. That's not going to. That's not your salvation. Doesn't rest on whether the Nephilim were this or that. Your salvation yes. rests with Jesus. So uh, this debate, I'm, I don't knock anybody for their beliefs, but if you bring up any of this stuff in most churches. Man, people will come unglued. You know, the little church here I've gone to, and there's one lady. If you mention fallen angels as Nephilim, you know, her head just starts shaking. You think it's going to come off. She gets so upset. And, <laughs> and you know, she's like, well, they can't marry. There's no marriage. And, it, you know, you try to say, look, these weren't, these weren't spring weddings with flowers and bouquets. You know, these weren't blushing brides. These were women that were just taken by these things. You know, there was no marriage. There was, you know, and I don't know why. I don't know why if we believe in a supernatural God and a, and a Messiah that was born from a virgin, lived his life with, without sin, was, was crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected, where does that discount all the other um, supernatural things in the Bible? You well, know, you know why, a... why do we question supernatural when we base our our, our salvation on it is, is what I'll never understand. Yeah, it is kind of a weird thing because, like you just said, uh, they just ran a survey a little bit ago, and I think it was like 40% of the Christians that they interviewed did not even believe that Satan existed. Well, and that what (laughs) somebody said, that's his best trick (laughs) is is to get you to believe he doesn't exist. You know, it's like, it's like a stealth fighter or stealth bomber. Hey, it's not there because we don't have it on radar. So Satan gets off the radar that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's too bad people hey, will not broaden their mind. Yes, Larry, go. Yeah, I just want to interject in here real quick. Uh, and a, a, a recent book that, uh, and I'd shared, I'd talked to you about it actually, and talked about it on the radio show was, it's a new one that just came out. It's called Counter Move: How the Nephilim Returned After the Flood, and it's written and authored by L. A. Marzuli who's done a lot of investigation into abductions and, and the Nephilim and, and the, the strange creatures and skeletons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what he brings out in this book, and he really does an excellent job talking, and that was what John was talking about, uh, fallen angels and Nephilim and uh, the bloodlines and, and, and the genetics and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. He brings out how that those fallen angels – uh, and, and literally, in his book, if you go back into the uh, original writings, it was not a marriage. It was not uh, uh, some kind of wedding ceremony. They literally, as the Bible said, they took whomsoever women they wanted, and they mated with them by force. And oddly enough, according to the ancient text, 
most of the women did not survive childbirth. As a matter of fact, a, an old friend of mine, I don't even know if she's still around, uh, 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 Beverly Fox wrote a book years ago similar to for The Forbidden Planet, but she was talking about it being Earth and it's forbidden. And basically she says and introduced in her book how that the, the, the uh, fallen angels even created uh, mechanical devices to spread the hips of a woman that was going to give birth to these giants and literally uh, they never the women didn't survive the birth and so it's even more gruesome and brutal than people would even dare believe yeah no i don't think we can wrap our minds around what's coming even as it was no. so shall it be yeah go ahead john no i i was just agreeing with i, I don't think we can either um but, you know, back to the discussion about uh, how is it people can can um, worship our God and, and worship Jesus and believe those things, but discount all this other stuff. Um, and you, you, you were asking how, how people cannot believe in Satan. Well, you know, I, I've been watching things the last year, and I've noticed uh, – We've, we're having all these Trump boat parades and this and that again. It's all rah rah, maga this and maga that. Well, everybody's forgotten that the uh, the election was stolen. <laughs> it's like we've all yep. stuck our heads in the sand and we just think, oh yeah, next election we'll get it. Well, I got news for you. There's not going to be a next election if we don't take care of what just happened to this past election. There'll never be another legitimate election. And well, it, it's just like people just want to forget it. It, it. We have such short memories, and I I don't know if it's uh, I don't know what causes that. If we just don't want to face the truth, or believe believe that these things are actually going on, is it is it safer just put it in the back of your mind and just trust things are going to be better later? Because it's not there's not a man that's going to save us. There's not a man that's going to bring America back. That's you know, right. it's going to be God if it gets done. It's not going to be by a man. I mean, yes. I really believe we're entering God's judgment on this country now. And you can just look every day and watch things just get worse, gradually worse every day. I have not seen anything positive, and I don't know when. Everything's just getting worse. And one yeah. of the things... One of the things that's really interesting, and I'll bring it up here because it's really far out, is my old friend and, and, of course, your friend, Stuart, Barry Rothman. And I think it falls back on what he ran in the Torah Codes, and it indicates humanity has a an alien stupidity virus. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's something going on with the human mind nowadays. It, it defies all logic. It's like they've lost the ability to connect dots and uh, figure out for themselves the the big picture. And, and actually what's going on with Charlie Victor, I'd use that as uh, Charlie Victor Alpha 9 and, and the uh, scare of, uh, you know, the health scare. And then you panic people to take the jab and then they are becoming like 
the uh, early Nephilim, uh, they become almost like a Nephilim. And when the Bible says that Noah was perfect in all his days, it's merely saying his genetic. He was truly homo yes. sapien sapien. As you said, alluded to, John, back in the very beginning of the show. And uh, But now this has all been violated, I think, by the rich men of the earth. And I, I agree. It's a... It's an RNA effect. Yeah, well, I, I nearly said something wrong. It's it's an it's an RNA. Yeah, yeah. it's an RNA, <laughs> and I believe your DNA is never the same once you engage in participating with that program. Yeah, a very special way of doing what they did back in the days of Noah. And you you were talking about Greek mythology. I know, I have always thought that wasn't mythology at all that these guys were really experimenting. And so the tales of a a, a horse with a man's head and neck uh, doesn't surprise me at all. And uh, Larry, uh, what did they... Chimera's mouth. Yes, I think they are. Uh, Larry, what did they call those creatures that they discovered down in South America? And actually, the governments of South America blamed... The CIA for these creatures. Oh, you're talking about the uh, chupacabra, wasn't you? Yes, yes. Uh, What do you think about that, John? Um, Well, now I haven't studied that much on it. Um, The chupacabra, what I have seen, I think what they have in South America is different than what they have in Texas. These Things they're calling chupacabras in Texas look like uh, coyotes with the mange. They're, they're very dog-like. But I was looking into it, and I've noticed that chupacabras you're talking about, they're they're more of a humanoid-looking creature. So um, I haven't really been able to get into that too much. It, it just hadn't, hadn't come across my uh, target list on what I've been writing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, the research you have done, though, I wouldn't, you know, it kind of it proves out conclusively. Even as a novel, I call it semi-fiction. <laughs> yeah, using... well, Larry, Larry had a perfect. Uh, I really liked Larry called it faction the other day, and I thought, <laughs> that gun, Larry, you just came up with a new genre. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, I know we're just about to cross over into the the third uh, half hour, but uh, I was going to mention here, uh, John, and I, you know, I shared with you, and I, but I wanted to share publicly on the air that uh, I'm getting a lot of people that are really excited about reading your books, and, and a couple of them. Here's a couple of instances. Uh, a friend of mine, Robert, up here in Tallahena, he got hold of your book. He's a, he's a Choctaw Indian, and uh, he read it, and oddly enough, he lives in the area uh, a little bit northwest uh, of uh, Tallahena, where a lot of the battle and the, the uh, attack on uh, on the elder Choctaw Indian man, the father of the police chief, was carried on. So he lives right in the ground zero of what you wrote about, and he said this is a phenomenal novel, and he's enjoying every second of reading it. 
And then another guy up in Indiana, uh, we'll just call him, you know, Don. Uh, Stuart knows who I'm talking about. Uh, anyway, Don, <laughs> after he got the novel, uh, he said that he said this keeps me up at night turning the pages. And he says not only that. He says, you got to start looking out the window every once in a while to see what's out there. And he said, when it gets dark, begins to get dark, he said, uh, I want to pull the blinds and I want to sleep with the light on, maybe. He said, this is this is even scary. Well, you know, one of the best, uh, the, uh, best reviews I ever got was criticism from a lady. Um, she read the book, and she got on Amazon and said, I hope people understand this isn't true. None of this happened. And, you know, she went on and on and on how it was all made up. And the only thing I could reply was, it's a novel. <laughs> but, um, and I, we, you know, I made some dear friends through this novel and um, got a couple in, uh, in Dequeen, Arkansas, real good friends with, and uh, the lady she was reading the novel, and this was before I knew him. And she asked her husband, "She said, do you remember this forest fire or this plane crash back in um, 2014?" And her husband had told her, "I think that's a novel." <laughs> so I'm glad it's had that effect on people. Um, funny thing, still in the red on this book. <laughs> Haven't made money yet, you know, creeping up to about to break even, but. Uh, so the biggest joy I've had out of this book is that people really like it, and and I love hearing the stories how people like it. It makes me happy because, like I say, I'm not making any money, but if people are enjoying it, it it's made it all worthwhile. And um, I've met a lot of wonderful – so it's really been a good experience. And another, another note that I'd want to bring into the conversation, too – is that you know I was in well I was in the Air Force and and the and also I know John was in the Air Force, but uh, oddly enough uh, when I was up in around Poto I heard about a plane crash over around uh, kind of uh, towards Rich Mountain uh, towards uh, Mena Arkansas, and also uh, since I was in law enforcement for like thirty five plus years in Northeast Texas and Southeast Oklahoma. Uh, I, I knew a lot of game wardens, and so they'd share things with me that they wouldn't share with other people. And some of the Oklahoma game wardens that I've talked to, even though publicly they won't talk about it, they told me privately that there is a Bigfoot creature, and there is a Bigfoot creature that goes through this area, all up from the Red River area bottom of Texas, on up through southeast Oklahoma, over into Arkansas, up towards uh, hot springs and that region, and they say, according to them, that uh, these are uh, transitory, or in other words, uh, they're migratory. Yeah. Yeah, they migrate. Well, we have them here in Wisconsin. A lot of tales of uh, Bigfoot, Wolfman, that sort of thing. In fact, there's a lady up here that has written, I think, four or five books documenting it all. Uh, Wisconsin is known for that kind of weird, weird stuff. And well, that was, was one of the – go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say that was one of the first things that intrigued me when I started um, writing the book is I just assumed it was always in the Pacific Northwest, and I started finding these cases all over the United States and, and all over the world, basically. It's big in Russia and uh, 
Australia and China. Um, I just wasn't ready for that. I, I don't know why it had always been so focused on the Pacific Northwest. Funny story, um, I remember as a kid, I was about 12 when that uh, movie Legend of Boggy Creek came out. Well, this is how disinterested I was in Bigfoot. It wasn't until I started researching for the novel that I figured out the Legend of Boggy Creek was about a Sasquatch. I just assumed it was some monster as a kid, you know. So I, that's how little I knew about Bigfoot. And then when I started doing research, and I came across Legend of Boggy Creek. I was like, oh, okay, now it makes sense to me. <laughs> in all your search of, uh, you know, to get information, have you found anything about the military being involved with Bigfoot in any way, shape, or manner? Well, you hear tales of it. Um, uh, I've heard quite a few tales of it on, on different different shows like this and uh, Sasquatch Chronicles. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Are you? Mm, nope, I don't think I am. No. I'll, I'll send you a link to that. They have a lot of guests and stuff on there, and um, that was one of my go-to spots for getting information because I drive a lot on my job. You know, I'll drive two, three hundred miles a day. I have a lot of road time, so um, I, I would listen to these things to try to get information. And there's a lot of references to it on on a lot of stories there so that was one of the reasons i used it in the first book too in fact um it's kind of become an essential theme in all all three books is that the uh, military's uh involved now i've heard about them being involved around mount saint helens after the eruption there um oh. i'm trying to think of another place i've i'd heard about them I, I, I'm, I, yes, I've heard several accounts, and I'm sorry I just wasn't prepared to answer that question. But, yes, I have heard about it, but I can't give you any specific uh-huh. accounts other than maybe Mount St. Helens. Well, I was just curious because if uh, if they had either captured one, maybe they would be interested in the DNA. And uh, what I was thinking about is this super soldier business that they're deeply involved when uh, with and uh, there's a fellow over in England. His name was Casbolt, and he talked about super soldiers and how they had supernatural abilities. Basically, uh, you remember that, Larry? I was wondering if they had maybe tried to capture Bigfoot themselves, and you'd never know it. Well, interesting, interesting that you would bring that up, Stuart, because and this is. You know, I very well remember the interviews with James Casbolt out of the U.K., and I think he's dead now, uh, but he was a whistleblower to those programs. Yeah. And and what you could dovetail into this, and I've mentioned this to John, uh, Tom Horn, and everybody knows who that is. Tom Horn and his wife uh, wrote a really, really incredible novel early on years ago called The Aramon Gate. And what that novel entailed was whistleblower information that he supposedly had. Anyway, he wrote the novel around it. And in this novel, the military used uh, DNA from uh, Nephilim and uh, created uh, ape-like creatures that were giants. And they also instilled in them, according to his book now, a uh, tracking device and a control device in their brain to control them when they were fully grown and released. And uh, one escapes, and 
one of the missile, one of the military people becomes a whistleblower and runs for his life, and they find out in the story that different places around the world, especially in America, there are underground bunkers that are researching and creating, growing or cloning, if you will, these Bigfoot creatures for to be super soldiers. So there you, what do you I don't know, what do you guys think? I've, with all I've your research. Yeah, yeah I, I've heard of that. Um, not necessarily using Bigfoot, but DNA research to make super soldiers and things of that nature. Um, and I think that goes along with uh, what Stuart keeps saying about the end times as it was in the days of Noah. I think we are going to have our DNA attacked and altered everybody they can in any way they can. Um, I think we're starting to see the beginning of that now with insistence on uh, forcing things on people, medical things that, you know, they don't need. Uh, yeah, I think it's entirely possible. Yeah, I'd like to go back to the Vril, and I did a little research on it, but it says they're a reptilian master race who lived in the underground tunnels, and they had high technology, anti-gravity devices, and, of course, that was channeled. Uh, have you got any more? We talked about the Bell, but what about the Hainaboos? Those uh, anti-gravity well, flying saucers. <laughs> I just uh, I just wrote the prologue for the third book, and the Hanabu is is uh, pretty prevalent in that prologue. So, as well as the bell. So, um, well, here's the thing. I'll touch on real quick. Um, I know I'm eating into your time here. The, uh, the oh. there's a couple of there was a story I believe it was 38 or 39 of a UFO crash in Germany, and supposedly that's where the Germans started first getting some of their technology. And you know their technology was pretty well advanced. I mean, you know they had jets, they had the first ballistic missiles. The B1 flying bomb was. That was basically the world's first cruise missile. B-2 was their first uh, intercontinental ballistic missile, um, their first jet aircraft, first rocket fighters, TV-guided um, smart bomb the Germans had in World War II. Well, they had their technology, but what they didn't get, thank God, was um, the atom bomb. Yes. That's what we got. But we ha- also had a, had a UFO crash in 1941, um, near Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and I've seen reports where that's where we got technology for the A-bomb. That was the uh, that was the uh, technology that got us over the hump. So you almost wonder, you know, like if they are angelic, if these these devices, these UFOs, people report. A lot of people now just term them as fallen angel technology. Well. Yes, I can see that, but there is also, it doesn't have to all be, I think you can just term it as angel technology, whether fallen or still loyal to the creator, it's angel technology. Mm-hmm. And hey, it hey, just sir. depends on, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I've got a question right here. I, w- I want to drop on both of you, actually. Those, all of these uh, different so-called uh, alien craft crashes around the world, do you think they're all really true accidents, or is 
this a plan or a scheme, a drop, if you will, a false flag, if you will, of the fallen ones to entrap humankind? I would go with it's a trap because if you go back and, and look at some of the crashes, the first one was in Texas somewhere, but it was on the 33rd degree parallel. And the one in um, Roswell, 33rd degree parallel, and on and on it goes. Even the descent of the fallen ones on Mount Hermon, 33rd parallel, which I believe is why the Masonic Lodge is so interested in the number 33. There's something involved here that's really, really interesting. And, uh, you know, we were warned by Eisenhower about the military-industrial complex. It unfortunately didn't, didn't include the pharmaceutical <laughs> complex in there. But uh, he warned about this, uh, this uh, complex and uh, the cartels that run it. And Dr. Stephen Greer has said that, you know, there's not going to be a, uh, how do I say, uh, revelation. Uh, according to uh, Noise, that lady, Charmin lady, uh, said that the aliens, so-called, we know they're not going to be real aliens. That's what they claim to be as part of the strong delusion of the Bible. But she said that they will be the ones who reveal themselves, and they're not going to play games with people anymore. Kind of interesting. What do you think, John? <laughs> well, that's pretty foreboding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I'm getting scared, Stuart. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just fascinating because if they have this kind of technology uh, – and Barry Rothman uh, did a Bible code on the uh, so-called uh, jab and uh, found that uh, it was number one poison, but mentioned uh, an angelic form. So we know that's fallen angels. Yes. Hey, Dirt. Yes. Yeah. Dirt. Yeah, go yeah, I wanted to interject something here real quick. You mentioned Barry Rothman and his Torah codes. I want to read nine uh, wordings out of uh, one of the Torah codes he ran in 2020 and get you guys' opinions. Uh, I believe John's familiar with Torah codes. Anyway, uh, Barry Rothman ran one that are very, very interesting. And here's the words that were in the matrix that he found. And, of course, when we say this, for people that's not listened to these shows before, what this is is basically a computer search of the Torah, of the Bible, you know, the early books of the Torah, and it's a search by the computer looking for main words that match or build a matrix. And so basically here are the wordings that were found, and, that, and it, I know John will be interested in what this matrix shows. Number one, Antarctica. Number two, UFO. Number three, Hitler. Number four, Nordic. Number five, Nephilim. Number six, chiefs or generals. Number seven, from the sky. Number eight, pole. Number nine, foreigners. What do you think? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, sounds like I can quit the third novel. He wrote it for me. <laughs> <laughs> you see? 
That's like, I got, sorry about that's, that. That's like my, <laughs> I got a whiteboard I used to put notes on when I'm writing, you know, that I could just look at, okay, I need to cover it. And it's like all those words are on it. <laughs> hey, I tell, I tell you what, this is what's so funny. And, and I, one day I'm going to ask uh, Barry, when he's feeling better, to, to run a Torah code on the Relic series because he did that for one of Daniel Holdings' books and found it's written in the Torah. So I'm beginning to wonder if the Relic series books that John has written, I'm wondering if they're embedded in the Torah from from years and years ago. Yeah, well, you know, would... i gotta, I got to tell you um, – I was the last guy I would ever think would write a novel. So I never would have dreamed I would have wrote, would have been involved in writing a trilogy. And um, I was never interested in writing. I mean, to me, it was always a chore. Now I absolutely love it. And that's got to be a download I'm getting from God or something, because I would have never dreamed I was wired for this. Now, one thing I used to um, wonder, why do I have all this interest in, World War II ABA, like you can throw up a German plane, a Japanese plane, an American plane. I can tell you what squadron it is and what group and just by looking at it, just by the markings. And um, I thought I got all this information that just eats me up and chews at me constantly, but what good is it doing me? Why Why am I, you know, I, I looked at it like guys that, you know, can – look at a stamp or something and tell you where it was printed and this and that. And I'm thinking, why, why couldn't I have something that made money? <laughs> why, why couldn't I be burning with, with this interest on something like that? And now where I'm having to use some of this stuff from my head to, to write these books, I thought, okay, well, maybe this is why I was interested in it. But I guess the point I'm trying to get to is I think, that might happen. That might very well happen, Larry, because I don't think uh, John Bandeviner by himself came up with this. I think uh, I think I've been inspired. I think it's been a blessing from God that I, I was able to write the, these stories. Um, I I just don't see me doing it on my own. I can't. I mean, I I just don't give myself that much credit um, because when my head kicks in gear and I start. Um, creating a story, it's got to be inspired from somewhere um, because I've never, I've never done this before. I mean, what is when I started writing, it's like my brain just kicked into high gear, and it does it at weird times. Sometimes it's a bit of a curse. It does it in the middle of the night, and I can't sleep. But I do believe it, it's a God thing. Now, I'm not saying my books are going to show up and show anything for the Torah code, but I do believe I'm getting a spiritual download. Well, it's it's good that, uh, you know, all these kind of things that everybody thinks are so strange are going to find out that they were not strange, that they it was really reality. It's kind of like people just can't believe in, uh, uh, we talk about the TR3Bs, you know, uh, the uh, backwards engineering of uh, these crashed things, if you want to call them that. I, I believe Satan can do almost anything. He's been given the power. Uh, the Lord has allowed it. And uh, so it doesn't surprise me if a, uh, some sort of a UFO crashes and they find bodies inside. 
because it, Satan has the power to do that kind of thing. And like I said before, I really believe this is all a trap. It's part of the strong delusion. And um, people are going to just be blindsided when this thing really starts to materialize right in front of their face. What do you think, John? Do you think this is just going to pop into the open, all this paranormal kind of stuff that's going on now, a little bit here, a little bit there? What's your well, take on you know, that? I wonder, I wonder, is it going to come in small bits at a time, or is it just going to come in one great big just explosion of uh, supernatural? I mean, well, look, like right now we're starting to get where the Pentagon's releasing information on UFOs, <clears throat> excuse <laughs> me, and actually admitting that, um, yeah, there's stuff out there. We don't know what it is. As a matter of fact, we got footage. Here it is. I'm sure you guys have seen the Tic Tac videos mm-hmm. and, the thing, and, the, and the gimbal video. Well, are they preparing us for what's to come? I mean, is, it, is there so much building that it's going to bust through and the powers that be that are going to say, we can't hide this anymore, it, it's becoming obvious? Is it like a, like a pressure cooker that's just about to blow, or, or are they going to just – let a little pressure off and give us feed us a little bit at a time. I don't know, but I do believe I firmly believe in your quote you keep saying, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be with the return of the Son of Man. I think we're yes. gonna go back to that. I think we're gonna all find out, you know, I think there's gonna be a lot of shocked people someday when this stuff does manifest and we're powerless against it. You know, what is it the uh their hearts will fail them, you know, men's hearts will fail them for what comes upon the earth. I think we're gonna see things we, we just cannot even comprehend at some point. You know, it's it's in God's hands when that yeah. uh, that time is. Well, it, it appears we're in a Schmitter year. Uh then we go into I believe the Daniel's lost week, which is a seven year period, as you know. And uh, we're going to start seeing a lot of these changes. What do you think, Larry? Is this going to come peaceful, or do you think just suddenly we're going to wake up to something horrendous? I think uh, we, over the last few years we've been seeing multiplicity incidents of the supernatural through things such as Mothman over and over and over, uh, the Bigfoot, uh, a lot of Bigfoot involving UFO craft are, are being reported. And at the same time, we're getting now the upright walking canine or coyote-looking creatures. And and it's really interesting because, uh, as both of you have mentioned tonight, as the days of Noah, well, that's that's uh, comes towards the end of the Bible, but it talks about a period back uh, before the deluge, and and yep. what's so interesting, I, I knew a guy, a Christian guy, devout Christian guy that worked for NASA and JPL, and he wrote a book, and I've shared it on your show before, Stuart, called Ice. That's the, that's the title, I-C-E, Ice. And uh, he wrote that book, and oddly enough, in that book, when uh, they went to the moon on one of these uh, Apollo missions, uh, they found a base there that they couldn't report because when they got into that under that it was underground and a little bit on top of the of the moon and uh everything was large 
All the equipment was large, large chairs to sit in. If you get my drift, everything was bigger than a human man. Even the ones that went to the moon were small. And so what they actually found a travel device inside that base on the in the book Ice, and they traveled and found out that man had already been to the moon before uh, modern day sent man to the moon. And what they found out were that before the flood, there were giants, and in that time frame, the giants also had craft, and they flew to the moon and put a giant or a Nephilim base on the moon that down after the flood, mankind thought he was the first on the moon, but he found out it, that mankind or humanoids had already been there called Nephilim. So it's really, it expands your mind. So I'm beginning to wonder, uh, there's a, seems to be a, it, you know, you talk about John Download from God, there seems to be a download from God lately on revelation or revealing all that has happened that's been hidden for so long. Yes. yes. Uh, and I think it all... Go ahead, John. Well, all I was going to say was, you know, this stuff is uh, all coming to light, but the Lord said he, uh, that which was hidden, he's going to reveal. And um, there, there's going to be so much that's going to blindside people who just can't open their eyes or their ears or their mind, basically, to uh, to accept all of this, and they just mock it. And I've often wondered, is it fear that if we open the door to something like this, then like, like you've mentioned, John, how many uh, rabbit holes do people go down, and uh, are they afraid to go down any of them? Yeah, exactly. Well, I tell you, think about going down a rabbit hole or even sticking your head in it. You find out real quick who your friends are. <laughs> because, <laughs> in fact, you usually change your friends. <laughs> yes. Because yep. it's hard to start seeing this stuff and see seeing it in your face, and then you try to tell people, and they look at you like you got three heads, and you're like, no, I don't have three heads, but look in here, this guy does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And, it uh, is. What... It absolutely is. What Larry was um, there's talking. People that, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, John. There's people I've met that talk about things, and, you know, 10 years ago, I, w- I would have said, man, that, that, that person's crazy. Um, but now I, I'm more open-minded. Uh, it's just, it happens. Once once you start digging into this stuff, and the, the, the neatest thing about it is you can do it with the Bible, and so many people don't realize that. And um, it's like, well, your source is right there. And and I love that thing your wife posted today on the email, um, the poster, talking about the Bible. That was just awesome, the words she used and the way she put that together. I don't know if it was you or her. I just know she emailed it, and I really thought it was cool. I well, there's reading a, that. There's a, there's a lot to all this, and I just wish people, what Larry was talking about, um, th- these uh, ancient legends. Well, there there are documents that verify that early man did uh, go into outer space. And remember what uh, Solomon says about the uh, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. Yes. Uh, so what was is going to be again. 
and we could get into some weird stuff like we have cell phones. Larry, what was the name of that, uh, the golden mirror that they found? I don't know if you've heard about that, John. That's fascinating. No, I need to, I need to look into that. Now, are we going to cut off hard at eight at the bottom yeah, of the yeah. hour? Is that yeah, right? we got about four minutes to go. Well, okay. we may. Well, yeah, I, hey, yeah, I was just going to say, back. John. John, <laughs> have me for coffee sometime and pick my brain. I'll tell you about the Golden Mirror. But yeah, uh, I'd love to hear that. But but we may I have to do another show down the road because uh, this has got a lot of stuff we can talk about. Yes. <laughs> Well, the paranormal yeah, is actually it. normal. This this wasn't your usual uh, book interview. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, all of this stuff people think is wild and weird and, uh, you know, just crazy. Actually, they're going to be blindsided that it was all true. And it's just too yes, bad. Yes, I believe that, so. Yeah. Any other question you want, Larry? Well, that's why I mentioned maybe down the road another show to go into yep. uh, the, the new xenobots and artificial yes. intelligence and transhumanism, and a lot of this is going towards for for the uh, uh, Star Trek fans, the Borg, and where we all seem to be going. And it, is it possible that uh, the fallen ones are creating a new Borg? in the earth, and uh, it's something that's already been once before the flood. Yes. Well, are we creating one, and they're wearing them little things on their faces? (laughs) (laughs) I think we are, yeah. that The whole deal for transhumanism is to kill off humanity as homo sapiens sapiens. They want to defile the temple of God, and they're antichrist to the core, and they're satanic to the core, And uh, I guess they've picked their path, and the only thing we can warn people about is get into your Bible and study it, because it's all true. Okay, thanks a lot, John, for coming on. We'll have you again. Thanks, Larry. Yeah, thank you. Hey, if I could just say, uh, I just want to say real quick, I want to thank my wife, Monica, because she was the one that opened my eyes to the Bible and stuff when I was was finishing this Bigfoot book and allowed me to keep moving with the writing. And I want to thank uh, folks out at Empire Publishing, and especially my rep, Francesca. Man, they have helped me so much. I was about ready to quit writing, and they've made writing fun again. And the people, the fans I have with the book that have gotten in contact with me, I'm so glad you've been entertained. I love all you folks. I've made some really good friends through this book, and I just want to thank you all. Okay, well, thanks for coming on, John, and we'll certainly have you back. And thank you, Larry. Thank you. For I really on. enjoyed it. Okay, really take care. It. Thank you. See you Good later. Night. Good night.